This is Alexander Antonio Cortez. This is the Art of Health podcast. This is a different podcast. This will be a spoken word, essentially retelling of an essay I wrote that I ended up putting out on Twitter and someone requested that I speak it out. So I shall do so. To preface, this is a treatise of my own mind. It is not an articulated scientific paper you know, with incredibly nuanced positions. If you count into it the meanings of which I'm talking about, you're not going to get it. That said, I think this has some depth of insight to it that hopefully is of use to you and means something to you upon hearing it. So, let's get right into it. What is the essay? What is what are we, what are we talking about? We're talking about love. We're talking about the ability to love. We're talking about love because there is a fragility to human connection today that did not exist in H's past. The tenuousness of relationships is obvious to any and everyone who have come of age in the digital era. Relationships have become stuff of profiles, handles, pages, updates, likes, loves, laughs, LOLs, snaps, stories, and screenshots. We have all these means to create a narrative of who we are and who we quite likely may not actually be. The ease of use in the storytelling technology is driven a digital instinct of the creation of the self, the digital self. Identity, then, is not grounded in an internal world of the mind, but it's grounded in an external one of social mass crowd validation. So the superego has been let out, so to speak, to work off young and it makes itself known in the construction of this validation. It comes with the technology. Social media has become an identity medium. It's not just social, and it's not just media. It has become a means in a world unto itself. We create an avatar. We create an agent that represents us. And we are judged most harshly on this. The creation of this identity, it supersedes the individual behind it. Who you are in the digital world is more real than who you are in real life. People live out their lives, not just on their phones, but in an ethereal setting that you cannot feel, nor grasp, nor taste, nor touch, but it exists within your mind, and it affects you as real as anything that happens in physical reality. And relationships are established through this medium. Hierarchies are made. Statuses rise and fall according to social currency and influence and who is in and who is out. And everything's preserved in this medium. Everything is forever. Everything you say, everything you post, everything you have ever done in this medium, it is to be judged. And the whole stage has a long memory. It is both actors and the audience. We are passive and active observers and participants in each other's stories. So where does this leave us? It leaves us with individuals who are awash in a digital world of what I call sand and fog. We cannot see through it. We do not know where we are going with it. It is rudderless. It is a world that is mist, and it's driven by attention-seeking. It's driven by an endless, endless, borderline pathological endemic narcissism of attention. It's driven by a search for meaning from others, and is constant. But yet all the while, throughout all this, all throughout, there is a sense of false abundance. There's a sense if we could capitalize on the attention, that somehow we would transcend it, we would rise above it. 
So we seek out and we have created these constructs. We have not even created the constructs. We are reflected in these constructs of social currency and attention. And then in the midst of this, in the midst of this identity medium, we have men and we have women, and we are driven by the ever-present eternal instinct to be attracted to one another. But we're also preoccupied. We're occupied with our own dramas. We're preoccupied with our digital identities. We are preoccupied in such a way that to love something is impossible because it requires commitment to something. It requires commitment to someone. And that is not the nature of the digital identity. The nature of the medium is that everything is ethereal and ephemeral, and it can change in instants, in seconds. It can change day to day. It can change from hour to hour. Who is in tomorrow can be out today. Who is out today can be in tomorrow. Who you are right now, you can change with a series of updates and photos. So we commit to nothing. We can barely commit to the identity of ourselves. And, in, and with this, and with this, we have a vast market, a vast market of men and women who are all endlessly deciding upon options, who are all non-committed, because all it takes is another swipe, another message, another chat, another search, another scrolling through of people, that there is something or someone better. Everything is replaceable. So there's more suitable. There are people more suitable to our list of expectations. There are people more suitable to what our perfect ideals are. We can find someone more thrilling, someone that is more satisfying to our measures of hedonism and dopamine and pleasure-sinking. We can find someone who's more available. And yet, some way, somehow, despite this availability of attention, we are so far away from each other still. So people are utterly driven mad by this. And it's crippling. It's crippling for the capacity to love. It's crippling for the capacity to bond. It's crippling for sex, because sex is now made into an exchange. Because why would sex not be an exchange in this kind of marketplace? Everything is exchangeable. Everything is commoditized. So, relationships then. They are reduced to the acquiescence of, let us say, imposed limitations and conditions put upon freedom. In a relationship, in a commitment, we can't choose anymore. In a relationship and commitment, our options are now closed. Oh, the tyranny of it all. And whether we are really free, whether we have all these options, that's entirely questionable. But the departure from the attention market that we exit, the commitment to make to somebody, it's a reluctant one. It's a divorcing from this false abundance of there being something better. It's a distasteful feeling of settling, of questioning whether we should settle. And most people, they avoid relationships entirely because of this, because they don't want to settle. Because they don't want to think that there's something better out there. They want the absolute best, whatever the best is. We can't articulate it, and we may not be it ourselves at all, but by the gods, do we want it. So people don't date anymore. People don't date, people don't court. The idea of making a commitment, that is all, in a way, archaic. We talk to each other now. We see each other now. We're together, but we're not really together. We're seeing each other, but we're not in a relationship. We keep everything open to the last possible minute until, by default and by passage of time, we are somehow forced by either social pressure 
or simply the passage of our lives turning that maybe we should commit. And then we're confronted with all the choices we've made. And we're confronted with the fact that nothing we've ever believed in has fully been solid and real. We've just been waiting for something else. And within that as well, we also have this equalization of the sexes. Women have nothing special to offer because this is post-wave, fourth-wave feminism. There is nothing special about women. There is nothing special about men. We are 50-50, perfect equals in every aspect with no differences in between. So what is there to value in the opposite sex? Pussy is abundant. Dick is abundant. Anyone of reasonable means and social socialization can go out and get the sexual experiences they want. There's no value in it. There's no value in the getting to know someone through the relationship because we've reduced that to ephemeral status. We've removed ourselves from the historical roles of chastity, temperance, and fidelity, and whether these things were ideals that we, never, that we always fail to reach, but at least we aspire to them because they don't exist now. To even say those words, chastity, temperance, fidelity, I know full well probably half of people don't even know what fidelity means. I know full well, too, that half of you probably rolled your eyes at the idea of chastity, at the idea of preserving oneself for somebody. That's not how things are now. Sex is free and open. We all get to partake in it, as we do in temporary relationships. But somehow, despite all this, we are still lonely. Despite being able to operate and have sex and have relationships in a market predicated on status and personal selection, we are still lonely. So the marketplace, then, we have it filled with people that are looking to fulfill their mental dramas of knights and princesses and Disney immature archetypal schemes that, that directly contradict their behaviors and directly contradict their actual actions that they are taking, that directly contradict the way they have, they have lived their lives, but they still seek to fulfill them because those archetypes are biologically grounded. We cannot get away from them. We cannot. We can fight them, we can call them social constructions, but they will dominate us as they have for all of time. And the irony to this, the irony to being sexually and socially free of norms and statuses and tradition, the irony to all of it, the irony to having sufficiently killed God in faith in the 20th century, is that we call those things irrational, we call those things outdated, we call those things silly, we call those things stupid, we call those things the thoughts of fools, but yet we somehow rationally, in quotes, still believe in the one. Despite having no belief in anything of transcendent power, we still believe in the one, the one that will answer all of our needs. Because it is entirely rational within the modern world to believe in a singular being that is going to fulfill everything you want in somebody. So everyone struggles then. Everyone struggles. And we struggle probably most of all in the communication of what we want and what we want in other people. There's an irony of authenticity. Authenticity is the desired tonic. It's the solution to all this. It's, authenticity is the solution to this entire marketplace of false representation. But even this authenticity that we desire, it's a farce. It is entirely farcical. We are a generation that debates over the wording of messages, and we filter every single picture and post it to display perfected life. 
And then we cry out that we need authentic people, that we want realness, that we want good, mo- good, good vibes. And we demand honesty from people, from partners. We're all hypocrites. And then all the while, people are so self-involved that the identification of common ground is rendered a barrier to one's personal ambitions. Careers take precedence. Hobbies take priority. What you want and the job that you want and the life that you want, well, that's happiness for you, or at least chasing it is. Thus, the other person that you are looking for, they are expected to fit into the personal trajectory of yourself with no interference of any kind and no dissuasion at all. You must have it all. That is the mantra. And it is upon the other person to accommodate this. Because otherwise, surely, surely, someone better can be found. Because you have options. And that better person, we're going to have more in common with them. And we're going to have more comfort with them. And we seek these assurances. We tell ourselves in empty platitudes that that one is going to come. And it's going to ease us into a natural feeling relationships. A natural feeling situation. But it does not work. Because human attachment requires deliberate choice. It's not an accident of esoteric, rational, irrational, one forces. But the suggestion of that, the suggestion of deliberate choice, the suggestion of commitment to something, to having to go all in, that is heretical. That cannot be heard. That threatens our very freedom, so we think. And to think deeply on that, to even approach it, to question our beliefs, to think perhaps beyond them, to wonder if they can be replaced by something that has love and connection fidelity to it, beyond how we want those things to be, but can't act them out. Well, that is dismissed. We are reduced to analogies and sweet mechanisms of platitudes, sweet platitudes, platitudinal thinking, anything that maintains the digital illusion that we've put over ourselves. And this entire illusion has overtaken the entire collective psyche of society. Whether anyone realizes this or questions it, no worries. There's immediately a half-truth to tell you that will assure you that you are going the right way. And of course you'll get what you want. Of course you deserve that kind of girl. Of course you deserve that kind of man. Of course there's someone out there for you and the problem has nothing to do with yourself and everything to do with who you've met and where you live. So this stage has no end, because deception of the self is a closed circle. Until you break that chain, you are not leaving it. Nothing is sacred, everything has been profaned for attention and to maintain the illusion, and we are all addicts and whores of this narrative order that we have created for ourselves, whether intentionally or unintentionally. So to love, then, to love someone genuinely in the midst of all of that, the thing that keeps you up at night, if you are one of those people, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. To love genuinely within that, it is an ideal with all the substance of the wind. So it's no accident that people are lonely. It is no accident at all. I will leave that there. Until next time, good luck, people. Good luck.